Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a show about forcing your friends to like the things that you like. I'm Kelsey Goldman. I'm Jason Edwards. And on this episode, I've ruined Jason's life some more. <laughs> um, although, you know, you ruined my life a lot in between these two episodes, so... Yeah, but that was a very concentrated dose of life ruining. True. This was drawn out over was drawn 10 out. episodes. It wasn't as painful as what I put you through. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a show about the horrors of war. And, and yet, the, and the, <laughs> the, 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 the horrible things we can inflict on our fellow man. And yet, and yet, not as upsetting as, as the crimes of Grindelwald. Um, I just want to, before we get going, I want to apologize to listeners for my voice. If it sounds kind of weird at all, I'm recovering from a cold that completely stripped out my ability to, to talk. So you I'm, sound fine to me. Thank you. I, I, I've been told, uh, Morgan told me. I was chatting with him the other day that my voice was making his eyes water. So I think I've been a little bit self-conscious about that. Morgan. Yeah, you hear that, Morgan? I'm coming for you. <laughs> You're getting roasted. Um. So in this episode, we are continuing on with our HBO War series, series of <laughs> episodes. Um, and we are talking about the Pacific, which is going backwards chronologically <laughs> of the events that happened. But... Um, is actually made after Generation Kill, but did, did whatever. Did we get this out in the last episode, the, the unofficial HBO War trilogy? I, I talked about it a little bit. Okay. I listened to the episode today okay. to be sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, that I I consider this a trilogy because my friend Camden, who introduced me to the series, called it a trilogy, but it's not really a trilogy. Um, this show and Band of Brothers, which we uh, are going to watch next, um, were produced by the same team. So like, they're much more of a package yeah. deal but they're also made like 10 years apart so um, and in the middle there we got generation kill yeah i mean generation kill yeah was made yeah but yeah. the events of generation kill take place after long after <laughs> long the events after of the this. pacific so um the pacific which we are talking about today is about uh the marines during world war ii in uh the pacific theater of war as the title might suggest <laughs> i think it's a it's a good Follow-up from Generation Kill, because in Generation Kill, we were talking about Marines, and this is also about the Marines, and we kind of have this idea of where the Marines got to <laughs> after this, and, and, you know, with the wars in between here and uh, the Iraq War, but um, I think it's sort of an interesting uh, comparison, so to speak, and, and I think we both did make a lot of comparisons as we watched, so that was good. It's definitely interesting as far as, like, style of filmmaking goes because, you know, Generation Kill was an Ed Burns, David Simon joint, which is very, you know, presented in a very matter-of-fact way, very committed to verisimilitude, hmm. as I said a thousand times in that episode, <laughs> which I th I'm still thinking I may have used incorrectly. I think you said it, like, twice. Yeah. Well, it feels like I said a lot. It's mm -hmm. just it's such a fun word. Um, whereas this is, you know, produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, um, you know, who made Band of Brothers. But Steven Spielberg, of course, is famously like a very, very uh, cinematic. cinematic director. Mm -hmm. so, that's that, that, so to speak. He's very uh, open about manipulating the audience, which is fine. Like, it's fine. I mean, I think the things that David Simon does in his shows are also a form of manip manipulation. But it's just a matter of, like, how you're doing it. Whereas this, yeah. is, this is all very much more, you know, if you watched a, a war movie, set that was made in the time this is set it would look kind of like this mm -hmm. so it's very you know there's a lot of like musical cues there's a score for yeah. one uh the style is just much more like vivid and detailed mm -hmm. less less you know less uh, journalism based yeah so there's some interesting contrasts there yeah so i think it's a good follow-up um i think it's weird because i have a like soft spot for this series because it introduced me to uh Rami malik who i love um and I, I think the acting in it is pretty good, and I uh, I enjoy that a lot. But I think, uh, especially watching it this time through, at, like directly after having watched Generation Kill, I think the the writing and maybe not so much the writing, but the the story structure. Um, like I don't think there's anything wrong with like the dialogue, like sort of that sort of thing, like the actual words that are being said. But I think the story the story structure is a problem, which I think is also a thing I thought when I watched it originally, mm -hmm. but I just like wasn't analyzing it the way I am this watch through. Um, the structure so, does not serve well what they're trying to do here. Right. And there, there are individual scenes and sequences and even, you know, more or less whole episodes that work pretty well, mm -hmm. but as a whole, it just never quite coheres the way that you might want it to. Yeah. Um, so uh, that said, I think I just want to go through um, 
not necessarily chronologically, but um, we have basically three main protagonists in this um, series whose stories are sort of woven together, and I would like to sort of approach them one very, at a time. Very loosely woven. Very loose. Two of them better than the other one. You, you would not want to. <laughs> you, you not want your items of clothing to depend on the, the stitching the job they do in this show. No. So your, no. your, your pants would, would fall apart. No. So our first protagonist is um, Private First Class Robert Lecky, Bob Lecky, um, Peaches. Yeah, A.K.A. Peaches. <laughs> A.K.A. Peaches. Not the singer. <laughs> no relation. Um, uh, who we meet as he's joining up a few weeks after Pearl Harbor, basically. Um, and he volunteers for the Marines and he gets sent to uh, the Pacific. And the first place we go with him is Guadalcanal. Which I think um, one of the, the narrative sort of faults of this show is that time is really not well um, shown. Depicted, depicted. Established. Yeah, established. They have a lot of title cards like at the beginning of the episodes and throughout the episodes to put you in whatever time it is in. Mm-hmm. But it still doesn't really help. Yeah. Because they, again, I've seen this other people on, online who were talking about the show when it came out had similar critiques where you can't really get a sense of how long anyone's been there yeah and i think that that can be a choice like a a creative choice which i think in generation kill because we're there for a very specific period of time which we kind of figure out at the end but we're we never establish how long it's been really until the last episode (laughs) we're like oh we've been here for this much time Mm. but you know it's and it sort of highlights the monotony of the situation and like the sort of doing things that you don't know why and that sort of thing but here it really sort of undermines um i think the depth of some of what's going on because the guadalcanal campaign in in world war ii where we we see lucky and his uh sort of platoon and, and and the first marines the campaign is six months long which is a long fucking time wait six months six months i don't know if if his specific team was there for six months but they were there for a long time oh that, that takes place over two episodes and it takes place over two episodes whereas the Pelelu campaign uh the battle of Pelelu was like two months long and takes place over three episodes um <laughs> then, so I, then there's the episode that's been in australia which how long was that meant to be August 1942 to February 1943 is Guadalcanal. Gloucester is December 1943. So, like, we don't see another front until, like, eight, nine months later. Granted, some of that time they're on, like, a they're on an island. They're not in Melbourne. But I think they're probably in Melbourne for, like, a good two months. Mm-hmm. And this is a very, you know, grunt's eye view of what's happening in the war. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I appreciate that, unlike in Generation Kill, uh, in the first episode of this show, they have maybe... A sequence every five minutes or so where someone stops and explains what's happening and where they're going and why they're doing it. But once they set that up, they sort of don't come back to that. Because there's, there's even less, I think, it's exposure to, like, the leaders of the war and, like, they were the battle or the, the, the company or whatever than yeah. there was in Generation Kill. Yeah, we don't get a ton of commanding officers. We get a lot of NCOs, um, the sort of, like, a, a Colbert's, Colbert, Colbert's of the world. Um we get a lot of those, but the, really the only people we see who are like, we have some some gunnery sergeants and um, and we get Chesty Puller, who's like the probably the highest ranking person we see, um, and we only we don't we see him like two or three times tops, you know, um, but anyway, so that's Lucky. He's in he's How Company First Marines. We are with him for a good long while. Um, and then we have John Bassalone, who is like a career Marine, basically, um, has, you know, joined up when there wasn't a war on and, and served in the Philippines and did a bunch of other things. And now he's like, there's a war on. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> um, and he's sort of billed as this big hero, hmm. you know, um, really like ready to fight, really talented. I don't know if that's the right word, but skilled, skilled. He has a certain set of skills. He has a certain set of skills. <laughs> Um, so when we meet him, he's also, uh, shipping out for Guadalcanal, um, in a different division, basically. And we meet him and, and, and Lecky at about the same time. Uh, roughly the they're, same time. They're both, in, in, terms of, actually, in terms of when the show was, like, the episodes of the show, I mean. We actually both, meet all three of them at the same time, but they're both, like, starting their war yes, at the same yes. time. Whereas we see, like, a 
few scenes in the first episode, a couple episodes of the third protagonist. Yeah, Sledge, Eugene Sledge. Eugene Sledge, aka Sledge, Sledgehammer. <laughs> uh, we see him, but he's on the home front for like. Yeah. He's not even. He's not even doing anything. He's just at home for like. He's at home. He has a maybe the first three or four episodes. Yeah, he has a heart murmur, and his it prevents him from joining up, or like his parents for a little while. For a little while, I, I think it's basically like his parents are like. They don't want him to join up, and his dad's a doctor, and it's and is like, no, you have this heart murmur, you can't go. And then he basically like turns eighteen and is like, fuck you, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the the way the characters are introduced is kind of there's an imbalance in the in the show in general because because they're telling the story chronologically, mm-hmm. which I think was actually not a good idea overall. Yeah. Uh, we get a lot of time with those two with 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 um, Barcelona and Lecky early on because they're in the war earlier. And but we're also we're seeing Sledge occasionally, mm-hmm. not not enough to really establish who we, what he's really doing. We just know he exists. Mm-hmm. And one of well, actually one of his friends then goes off and is at war with, or not with, alongside Lecky. I think. Yeah, he's in the same uh, company as Lecky. Yeah. So like they're like. To to me, it makes sense to intertwine both Sledge and Lecky's stories because like. Uh, Sledge is entering the war roughly. They they cross over for a few months, but is entering the war roughly when Lecky is leaving it. Right, and if you and as you were saying, if they had just those two as the characters, yeah. and, they, and they wanted to do a sort of like transition from like a passing of the baton halfway yeah. through the show, that could have been interesting. Yeah, but but they throw in uh, this Bassalone character, who's I mean they're people. This, this Bassalone character, this Bassalone character, is no good. Who like really feels extraneous in the narrative one because uh the the narrative is based off of the memoirs of lecky and sledge yeah hold up spoiler warning for the pacific <laughs> they both survive and they write both, books yeah, yeah. <laughs> and john baslin dies over the course of the show yeah so we we spend less time with him but he's also he still is given equal weight to the other two yeah and you don't feel like you know him as well he feels like a very flat character yeah. because yeah. of this and there's there's one episode that's entirely spent with him and his love story with an, yeah. uh, another, not officer is the wrong word, isn't it? Uh, like women's marine. Yeah, she is an officer. Okay, just just blanket apology for me once again for not knowing any military terminology. Yeah. I'm gonna get it wrong. If that bothers you, don't worry. I'm gonna say some stuff that's gonna bother you a lot more. <laughs> just, just 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 hold on. We'll get. She there. she is an officer. Um, okay. But she's in like the women's. Marine something or other. I, I just don't want to be like, he, he he falls in love with a special female officer. Yeah. Who is uh, assigned to the war to do, you know, feminine duties. It's not wrong. It is sexist, but it is what happens in the show, yeah. and I assume reality, too. She's a, she's a sergeant. Yeah, she mainly just cooks and cleans. Seems like it. Yeah. She's cool, though. She's one of the better characters. But anyway, yeah. I'm getting too, we're getting too in the weeds on this. I'm sorry. So, yeah. So, we spend... Um, we spend roughly the first half of the series with Lecky and Howe Company and First Marines and all those guys and their campaigns through Guadalcanal and Pelelu. And the, we spend roughly the second half with Eugene Sledge and King Company in the First Marines, um, a different division, but or like third. And then I think like Barcelona is also somewhere else because he's vaguely not in, the, except for Guadalcanal, he's not in the same place as them. Right. But he also gets shipped home. It's a whole thing. But so we spend r- roughly half with those two people and then interspersed this John Bassalone story, yeah. which really doesn't work. And by the time we get to his death, which he dies in Iwo Jima, it feels like his story was only included so we could have Iwo Jima as the iconic battle in the story. It kind to, of, to me, that's what it feels like. It kind like. of feels like because in episode two, he has his big like heroic moment in Guadalcanal. Yeah. Like he does a lot of like intense, like very impressive stuff, which like, the, the real guy actually did. And then he... You know, then then he gets, he gets you know shipped back home. He goes on, he goes it's on Medal tour. Of Honor. He gets Medal of Honor. Goes, starts selling war bonds because he's, he's well known as this big heroic he's character. Captain America. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, and then then when he comes back for Iwo Jima, we have like, and this is like right before his death, we have another long sequence of him just you know, being a very, you know, cool and like calm under pressure and heroic marine character. And I and I wonder if, and I have more thoughts about this that we're gonna do later, but I wonder if he was just there to give like at least two sequences they're just like hell yeah man america's going in there we're gonna fuck shit up it does feel like that because a lot of a lot of the other battle sequences are to the show's credit just dreary and upsetting and violent and chaotic Mm -hmm. but when bastone's on screen he's 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 got a lot of typical just like movie hero beats Mm -hmm. 
and I and I wonder if and I feel like it doesn't fit with the tone of the show. It definitely doesn't fit with the tone of the show. And I think it it really takes away from it. And when I watch it, I just block those parts out because that's not what I remember about the show. I, I thought, you know, seeing him be you know sent back home and then like assigned to sell war bonds, like touring the country, mm-hmm. I I was thinking we were going to get a view of like, oh, it's another view of the war. We're getting like a view of like on the home front as someone who's still part of the war effort, but isn't actually on the battlefield. But we see maybe three scenes of that. Yeah. And we don't really get a good idea of what's going on in his head, except for he clearly is still thinking about war, which mm-hmm. uh, that makes sense. He's a career Marine who is just got out of a, you know, out of the Pacific, but we never really, I don't know that. I feel like that was a wasted opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I would have loved to see like what that, you know, it's like how that one part in Captain America where he's like going around doing the shows is like maybe the best part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just it's such a it's it's a thing you so rarely see in war stories. Yeah. And I would have loved punching to punch out Hitler over and over again. Hitler. <laughs> and then we and we get a little bit of that, but you know, I guess they just didn't really have much to say about that because yeah. then because it ends up being the you know the crux of the story ends up being that he falls in love with this woman and then goes back and gets killed at Iwo Jima. Yeah. No, and I I think watching it this time just really. I think when I watched it the first time, I I felt like those parts were out of out of the narrative. But watching this time, I, I even more as like someone who now like writes on a regular mm-hmm. basis and like thinks about these things. And there's a lot more shows that I've ingested since then. <laughs> um, like it really feels disconnected from the narrative, um, and it sucks to me that it takes away from the other two narratives, which I think could be really good. I think I think this straight out of this show could have been eight episodes long. Yeah. Maybe even seven. Mm-hmm. And they could have just cut out Barcelona. Generally kill style. Seven yeah. episodes. <laughs> exactly. But go back to positives though. Yeah. Because when we do see Lecky or later on the show, Sledge fighting in the war, mm-hmm. we, we do get like there is a commitment to you know, making the again the battle sequences mostly just like grim and like just uh, just aggressively unpleasant. Yeah, and which, and chaotic in the way that like fighting in a rainy jungle would be, which uh, which I appreciate it. Yeah, and 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 that's like maybe my favorite thing about the show. So yeah, I think for me the the Baslin parts have always distracted from the main narrative, and for me the main narrative is much more about Lucky and Sledge, and the people who are they they are fighting with next to, with. <laughs> alongside, alongside. It's, <laughs> it's weird. It's hard. <laughs> um. And I think um, one of my favorite parts about Generation Kill and um, Band of Brothers and this show to an extent is the relationships between the soldiers. And I feel like this show lacks that in a way that the other two don't. Because even if you get invested in the um, the, the the character relationships between like Lecky and his friends, yeah. uh, they're all off the deck by the time the second half of the show starts yeah. up. Yeah, and and also they are because we spend less time because the narrative is fractured like that. Yeah, we get to spend less time with the different characters. So we get to learn less about them. Yeah, and I think because the um, the source material is based off two people's like one one person's recollections of the war, we know those two characters better than any of the other characters. Whereas the other two series that we're, we've talked about, we're going to talk about and have talked about, are based off of whole companies, basically whole like observing the unit as a unit and we're and someone is looking at the relationships between the people and so we get more of that that said um my favorite relationship in the show is probably between snafu aka remy malik remy malik and everyone else but mostly sledge <laughs> they're they're they um, the most uh, they're the, the sort of the uh, remy is basically the, the the fourth lead yeah he's definitely like the second lead in the sledge sections of yeah. the show and he is uh He's he's playing one of those weirdo Rami Malek characters. Yeah. Uh, he's just sort of a uncouth, weird guy who has like, is like very. He's kind of like grimy and dirty. Mm-hmm. He has he has this really gross like Louisiana accent that <laughs> makes me laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> the Rami Malek school of acting is just like tilt your head back and let your mouth drop open, and then whatever comes out, I will Oscar up drums for no man. <laughs> it's 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 perfect. It's solid, solid gold. Yeah. It, I I this is my first exposure to him. I think I might have seen Night of the Museum before this, but um, I I was not paying attention. Um, I was very upset when this, this show started, and I, I watched the first episode, and I was like, "Where's Rami? <laughs> they told me Rami would be and here." And I and I I really like him in this, and I think he's playing a character that is 
one of those characters that is um, highly problematic, as we talked about, and he, like, like he he's not a good guy. He he would not be out of place on Generation Kill. Right. Although on Generation Kill, he'd be on like the the nicer end. Yeah. Of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. He'd be near the middle, but he'd be, he'd be on the nicer end. But he also, I think, he also feels like when we meet him, he feels like one of those. Because he's been there a lot longer than Sledge, mm. and he feels like he has. You know, he feels like yeah. he's a little da- downtrodden and and is sort of outwardly projecting that. Yeah, that <laughs> as attitude, anger that, towards the new people. The attitude of like just disaffection. Yeah, and also yeah, just anger at the new people. And um. But we do see him actually. This is one that we do. This show is not great at tracking character growth yeah. or arcs. Yeah. But his relationship with with um Sledge does provide an interesting like counterpoint because they do sort of both grow and change and 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 sledge you know, as he grows like more and more just like dead to the world and like angry and just like like just slowly transforms as i put in my notes into a dead-eyed psychopath <laughs> yeah uh a trombley uh, if you <laughs> <will>. <laughs> mm, uh, put a pin in that uh meanwhile rami malik's character yeah. is becoming actually softens a little bit yeah we see him especially towards sledge yeah but he becomes a little bit more you know a little more humane a little bit less aggressive about killing japanese soldiers yeah and i think that their relationship is really um an interesting one and i and i wish that this show focused on more more on those relationships the same way that i wish the first half focused on more of the relationships between like lecky and and like runner and chuckler and all those like the guys he's with and like i could do without the entire melbourne episode like it's a nice pause but like it doesn't do anything for the narrative that's true Nothing actually really comes of that. Yeah, it's like aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it's it's nice to get there's break, some women, right? Because because the battle sequences are you know as much as I do appreciate that they did make them grim and unsettling the way it would be if you were actually were there. Um, there is a monotony to them, mm-hmm. which is probably somewhat intentional, but does not make for the most thrilling television. And so having like because it's all because they're in the Pacific, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a rainy, muddy like you know jungle jungle place. Yeah. So giving some breaks from that palette of you know, browns and dark greens mm-hmm. is nice. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of the character relationships, I want to ask you this. Sure. Do you think, because as you, as you put it, is it is the, the contrast to the other shows in this, this unofficial trilogy, mm-hmm. that this is based on the writings of two very specific people from their, like, personal recollections of the war. Do you think that was a good idea? I don't. I, and I think they, they did, the thing is, like, it is, like, based on, it's mostly based on Sledge's book and, um, lucky's book right they also drew on like a couple a, a book uh, by a guy who fought with Barcelona. uh one of the one of the kids mm-hmm. basically wrote a book also when he's at the yeah mm-hmm. you know um and the, the ones he trains yeah the ones he trains when he goes back um also wrote a book so it's also based on that and i assume they did other research too but i don't think it serves as as great of uh, it's not as good a source material as they have for the other two shows. Hmm. I think my my thought is that, that what they were trying to do mm-hmm. is to get a more personal like view of the war. Because mm-hmm. there is a focus more in this show than there is in Generation Kill, obviously. And I, get, I think Band of Brothers, to what I understand, there's more of a focus on how the war is affecting these people's psyche. Like there's a whole episode yeah. where, where Leckie goes to a, uh, a hospital. There's like the, the entire like final episode is basically an epilogue about how you know, messed up they all, they all are. Yeah. And so there's other, like, there's moments throughout the show where, you know, there's a very a haunting moment, like, I think episode one or two, where a, a guy who's, like, in the, he's, like a, like, a senior officer, I feel like, just snaps during the battle and just, like, yeah. is just laying there, like, writhing on the ground, just out of his mind. And there's, there's things, like, they, they clearly and want... And, like, like Lebec when they're on Pelele. Oh, Lebec yeah. who just shoots himself in the yeah, head. Yeah, it's, yeah. There, uh, there is more attention yeah. to, towards that. Th- but I feel like they could, didn't go quite far enough in that direction. Because, you know, what we see in the end of, you know, Lecky and Sledge dealing with their PTSD, which, I mean, Lecky seems mostly fine. Honestly, by the last yeah, episode, he seems like he's doing pretty well. I also think because of the time thing, we haven't seen Lecky for like two right. years when we see him in the last episode. And he's basically been in a military hospital that entire yeah. time. But there's, but based on what we see in the last episode, there's no reason to really believe if we had seen it, we would get much insight into it. Because right. Sledge's struggles with PTSD are mostly related to... He has nightmares and he yeah. can't go hunting and he breaks down crying and he, yeah. you know, sits underneath the tree all day and wears yeah. weird cyberpunk sunglasses and drinks iced <laughs> he's tea. He's disaffected. He's dis- you know, he's, and, and I feel like they wanted to get that perspective, but they didn't quite, 
it didn't they didn't go in hard enough yeah on I, it. I feel like they were split between trying to tell that kind of story and trying to deliver the big epic like war uh action you know, the battle set pieces that they need to do for i assume somebody wants to see that and uh, and uh, as, as you as you put it the arcs don't really come together right we go from we meet we meet sledge and he's this very sort of like wimpy looking like you know you know steve rogers and captain america before he gets the juice yeah it's like that. Sledge is that, and then Barcelona, Steve Rogers, yeah. and Captain America after he gets the juice. <laughs> on the same screen, finally. <laughs> Together. Pre and post juice cap. <laughs> I, and then we meet him, and he's this shrimpy little guy who's very sort of docile, and he wants to go to war, but he seems like he's a gentle soul. He's, he's, he's religious. And then he, <laughs> Sledge goes to war, yeah. and he sees a lot of really awful shit, mm-hmm. and then... He just seems to all of a sudden be a different guy. Yeah, we don't get to see his development because we're with Bass alone. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I mean, there are moments where they sort of are, are trying to demonstrate how he's, his attitude towards the war is changing and towards the Japanese soldiers. Uh, but we, I don't, they're not really in the right order. The, the, there are moments that are sort of impactful and be like, oh, that's sort of interesting, but they the come out of nowhere. The in the shed with the woman. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense for where it is in the story, but yeah. I feel like up to that point, nothing is built to that. We've just all of a sudden got to this fever pitch where he's just, all he cares about is killing Japanese soldiers, and that's yeah. all he's. he's it's, I, all I want to do is kill them. And yeah. He's like, I don't care how many, I don't care if I have to do it. I just want to kill as many as I can. And then he has this moment where he encounters a dying uh, Japanese. I think she's a civilian, right? Yeah. He encounters her, and he has a moment where he just can't bring himself to kill her, so he comforts her while and she, she dies. wants to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a moment of humanity. Yeah. And then when he comes out, he sees some soldiers shoot a Japanese kid i think i think was also either a civilian or a very young i think soldier. he's like a he's like a teenage soldier yeah they shoot him and all and then and now it seems like like he's not like he's sorry and now sledge is sort of you know changing his tune a little bit and then as soon as that happens we find out the uh, atomic bomb has been dropped yeah and so it sort of is a it sinks into his, his on his face you see on his face he's like oh i didn't I mean, it is sort of like, a, I never wanted this. What yeah. have I done? But he's, he, he, he didn't actually do anything. Yeah. But you sense that he sort of realizes the impact of what that attitude he had actually, actually, but what, what, if you carry that through to its psychological extreme, what would actually happen, which is the, you know, the, the vaporization of an entire city. Yeah. Uh, but what I've just told you is, is like the hardest critical work I've done on the whole podcast so far, probably, <laughs> because that's the, that, what, that is there, but it's so buried. Yeah. It's, it's just buried underneath mostly just war sequences yeah i think the the thing with the show is that like there are these like nuggets of really great television and writing and and acting and and but there's like you know 10 minutes inside each episode and then there's like a lot of surface level stuff that is not bad necessarily always sometimes it's not good no, it's, it's it's not it's not poorly done but yeah. it, it really there 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 has to be a way to i mean no, there's a way because i've seen movies where they, where they do this in tv shows where you yeah. can marry that you know if you had to you can marry that sense of like wartime spectacle with actual characterization yeah but it seems like all the characterization basically stops and then we have long like sometimes episode long sequences of battle and some of them are very very good like the uh, sledges scene where they're where they're storming the beaches yeah of where is that uh Pelelu, but yeah, I yeah. Think. yeah you're right that's a very well done sequence it's harrowing it is yeah. intense and it is it is is thrilling in maybe the appropriate ways mm-hmm. i also think that 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 sort of episode is those two episodes sort of together we're more with both lucky and sledge yeah. and like our whole story is coming together and it feels like something but then we just drop off again yep. and that's and that is to the detriment of the of the show so but yeah i think it's weird because i i like the performances in the show i think it's very well done i think there are moments that are very affecting that said i was saying when we were watching the final episode just now i think i have watched this show more than band of brothers because i find it less affecting and it is less hard for me to watch like I get less emotional about it because I'm not as invested, you I, know. Yeah, there, there's also there's just one note they hit over and over again, which is basically, war is bad and it will mess you up. Which, granted, yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's, a, that's a fine <laughs> point to have. I don't mind that as a theme, but yeah. they really only, they 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 develop that, in in the first episode. There's there's a, the first battle sequence, 
at the next morning, like he walks outside after they've you know, they've, they've been assaulted like all night, and they like fight off wave after wave of uh, enemy combatants. And he comes outside in the sunlight, and he sees like a field of dead bodies, yeah, like littered across the the, the jungle and the beach. And it's like and he's like it's horrifying. And you see in his face how. Again, it's on the face. There's nothing else really to go on here, but it's on the face. That James Badge Dale face. Very How horrifying wide he is, and angular face. And the impact this is having on him, and like, and and it, it immediately the you know they're. I think no, he does a very good. There's job. no sense of purpose really for them. They're just sort of fighting to survive immediately, mm-hmm. and you get all that in the first episode, and they don't really take it, it beyond that. It doesn't go deeper. And I think they, they just it, explore that from different angles. And sometimes they go shallower, like with the Barcelona yeah. sequences. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think for me, I think this would be a much better show if you took that, those parts out, which I've said yeah. already. That would certainly make it at least like thematically consistent. Yeah. Even if it was one note, it would be, it know, would be you, a thematically consistent note. Yes. Um, I also think, I think I also appreciate about the show if we're talking about things I actually like, cause I feel like I've done a lot of criticism. <laughs> um, I, I think that James Badge Dale gives a very, very good performance here. I think he's, he's really good in in this um he's almost too good though because when he leaves the show for the last like four episodes you miss him you miss it you really yeah. miss him because i like joe mazzello but i don't think his performance is as strong no he's um, uh he's he's he, it's maybe uh not a great sign that he's he's most engaging when he is at his most just dead-eyed like yeah. i want to kill people no matter what i also think that the character or person i think um i haven't read either of the source material but i feel like uh robert lucky is probably a better writer um G- given that he had a job as a as a writer, as a writer for and the wrote AP like 40 books um um like and like his job was a writer and we and and we to the show's credit like see him as that the yeah. the, the whole time whereas like we're nothing against sledge but i think he's very much like he wrote it a military memoir where i think and he wrote a couple because he did also stay in the military for a little while who was it that wrote? They said this in the end titles. Someone wrote like fifty books. Was it? That was uh, lucky. That was lucky. Okay, yeah. good. Um, I'm not sure Sledge could handle writing fifty books. Um, Although fifty books is a lot of books. It's a lot of books. Um, so yeah, I think he, you know, he wrote a few books, and and I think he very much wrote a military memoir where like he wrote a book about his time in the military. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I think he's a probably a more nuanced character um, when you're trying to translate it to to the screen than than Sledge was. And that's not Joe Mazzello's fault, but no. I also think this is probably one of Joe Mazzello's first larger roles. Although maybe he was a child actor. Oh, he was a child actor. As as, <laughs> as long as we're talking about things we like about the show. Yeah. But let's talk about episode five, which is when Sledge arrives on the battlefield, and he so he has this friend who we've seen throughout the first few episodes. Because he's been in, um, he's been alongside Lucky Sid. Sid Sid. He's Sid like Bills. they're like they, you get the sense of their childhood friends or yeah. their friends from back home anyway. And uh, in episode five, the Sledge finally arrives and meets up with Sid. And, of course, the first thing they do is they start wrestling. They wrestle. They see each other and they immediately get down the ground. They're rolling around the dirt. Yeah. I mean, that's probably another reason why I like the show because the homoerotic undertones yeah, so, but, are like, what I'm getting like, at is like when, when, loud. When, when, when Sledge <laughs> arrives and Rami arrives with him, yeah. the, the show becomes intensely homoerotic yeah. for about one episode. Yeah. And then it's, it's sort of doled out like in little bits and pieces afterwards. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it, like, it, there's so much male nudity in that episode yeah. like that's when the people are like walking around showering in the, yeah. in the, in the water a lot of shirtless dudes i also think that remy's character really exudes like a queerness Absolutely. about him Absolutely. and i don't really know how to explain that something about the way he is sitting when you first see him he's got his shirt off and he's leaning back he's yeah got that, like in that like head tilt he back, sits mouth weird open. you know <laughs> he's just like and he is like he looks good he looks I mean, he's 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 weird. He's he's not really built. He's very skinny. No, he's very skinny. And but Rami, I'm very Ra- attracted to him in that particular scene. <laughs> As am I, which is which is I'm glad, which I'm believed by. And I'll tell you why. Because after Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> I thought after he gave that award speech, I was gonna never be able to look at Rami Malek and feel anything but annoyance again. <laughs> but looking at this, I'm like, okay, good. Bring back that old Rami feeling. The old Rami feeling that. That Pacific Mr. Robot feeling. Oh, there's just so much. Just, just I mean, I feel. Let's put away Bohemian Rhapsody, Rami. I, I feel. I feel weird saying this because it is based on a real guy, but the character of Sledge in the show yeah. is so clearly gay. It feels. It feels very acted that way. There's an episode. There, there's a scene later in the same episode where all they're all sitting around like watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a love scene between a man and a woman, and a bunch of other Marines, including, um, including, Rami. Yeah. 
uh, Snafu. I can't remember his character's name, including Snafu. And they're all like hollering, be like, yeah, kiss her, stuff like that. Mm. And there's just this shot of Sledge sitting there looking so disinterested, just like <laughs> just staring right ahead, just like nothing is hit, is like phasing him. He looks almost annoyed. Even though these are real people in my particular headcanon of the show, Sledge is gay and uh, Snafu is very bi. Okay, again, we're <laughs> not speaking about the actual people, the human beings. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking of the characters in the show. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think Rami, Rami very much exudes a queerness about him. And I, when I first watched the show, didn't really grapple with that. But <laughs> now that I'm very comfortable in my own identity, I'm like, yes, you. I identify with you for a reason. <laughs> it's such an interesting energy to drop into the show. Because someone had to know what they were doing. Someone knew. Like, to drop that in halfway through and then Especially not really address it. Especially with Sledge. Because the Sledge stuff is so, to the me, overt. Oh, yeah, yes. Like, it's not even... Like, I think you could just say Rami's weird. He, like, his character's... You, you could Snafu's say that. just kind of like... But Sledge and Sid, they <laughs> go on a walk... They go for a walk on the beach together. Yeah. And when Sledge finds out Sid is leaving, is, like, being shipped home... Yeah. It's like a, it's like a tense, like, emotional farewell sequence. And yeah. not and, and, yes, men can have those sorts of relationships. But yeah. in this show, we have a lot of men, and none of them have that relationship. Yeah. So when these two show up, and it's very, like, physically amorous and, like... They have a deep emotional bond. It, there's no, it, it's, I mean, there's also, I don't want to read it a different way, but it's all, yeah, it really presents itself to it you. It presents itself that you feel like Sledge has very much pined after his friend yes. for a long time. You, you really, yes. <laughs> that is, I believe, an acceptable read of the text. And I think that also comes to fore in the last episode that we just watched in the like very long, lingering, ugh, the heartbreaking last scene with Snafu and, and, uh, uh Sledge. When because, Sledge is asleep on the train home and Snafu yeah. gets up and doesn't say goodbye to him, but like yeah. looks, like lingers in the doorway and looks back at him. And, and you're just like, go back, Snafu. Go back, go back. Snafu. And they don't talk for 35 years. Uh. <laughs> um. Also, also, when, when Sledge gets back, he finds out Sid is getting married to a woman. Yeah. And he's like, this one's a little bit of a deeper read, but he yeah. it feels like he's like trying not to let on how upset he is. Yeah. I mean, his first reaction is like, what the hell is happening? What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? But it's framed as if like, she's marrying you. I can't believe it. Yeah. But it clearly is like, you're marrying her? What? But yeah, so I think that could also be a reason why this has a special place in my heart because it just feels kind of queer. Yeah. I, I wish, I mean, I always wish there was more of that. Right. But I wish that, I mean, I think also because part of it, by that point in the show, you're like five hours in. Yeah. And if you're me, your interest is starting to wane a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they give, they give you one thing to pep you back up. Yeah. And then sort of drops off a little bit again after yeah, that. Yeah, I think, I think you know, you have a lot of valid criticism. I have a lot of valid criticism for a show that I like. Um, <laughs> Jason. Hmm, Kelsey. What, how did you feel about this? I mean, I feel like you sort of liked it and sort of didn't. I, I like parts of it. The main thing I was grappling with throughout the show, and this may be more just where my head was at, generally speaking, than the show itself, but I think the... There's an interesting contrast between the Barcelona scenes and the rest of the show to a certain extent. But I think on the whole, the show did make me consider like what we do when we tell stories about World War II, especially because World War II is like the last war that's like, universally agreed upon as being a war that had like clear-cut sides, like right and wrong and good and evil. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why there's so many stories about World War II is, A, because those things make for easy, obvious stakes. You know, if you want, you know, like what was the... You know, the, the bad guy in any movie for 30 years was just Nazis because we all knew Nazis are evil and just throw them in there and boom, you got a villain. I mean, it's still. Nazis are still evil. I'm just. Still we, the bad guys in a lot of movies. We've got. We've got what I'm saying. We, well, we, we, for a while, it was Russia. <laughs> for a while, it was Russia. Which is interesting, but that, we'll table that for another another yeah. podcast. Um, and I think the other reason, though, is because if you're. I don't want to get too conspiratorial with this, but it's going to it's gonna come out this way, so I might as well say it. If you are working as a tool of empire to advocate for the spread of American imperialism across the world. And the way that we want to get that across the world is by battle and war and violence. Uh, I think you could do a lot worse to glamorize war and violence than by telling a story about world war two, even, even allowing for, you know, the, you, you can be awed and impressed and, you know, perhaps even, you know, you, you can feel positively towards the soldiers themselves and like, and what they went through in the actual war. But I feel like once you start telling a, a narrative around that, things get kind of tricky. Because I think, and I, and I forget who said this. Um, I didn't even look it up between takes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a famous quote about 
war on film, which says that there's no way to depict war on screen without it being inherently somewhat exciting, which is which makes sense because it's, it's it's conflict, it's it's dramatic, it's it's visceral. We respond to it in a certain way, and I think if you're not careful, you can easily end up, you know, making a movie that glamorizes all war, yeah, even if you even if your intention is just to glam maybe to glamorize individual soldiers, which I think is also kind of strange for a narrative in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, even if that's your intention, you could easily end up painting a picture of war as the most like noble and glorious thing that a person can do, which which leads to you know, maybe there's not a direct impact on like if you've seen this many John Ford movies, you you know, you want to go fight in, in the Middle East. Maybe that's not quite there. But it does contribute to an overall culture of Again, uh, you know, violent imperialism across the world that is, uh, you know, a, a constant part of, of America today. You'd like media that depicts war to sort of grapple with the fact that as we depict war, we very much could be contributing to that that imperialist agenda. Yeah, and I, and I think the show does a pretty good job for the most part. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, the Baseline scenes are obviously just pure, just cheesy, like, rambo shit yeah but most of the battle sequences are like we've said chaotic and dark and confusing and there's no sense of there's no sense of triumph after they're over there's just a sense of we survived uh for the most part there still are some you know most of the battle sequences don't have those typical just like action movie beats like the bassalini scenes do but even you know even within the most of the sledge things like the sledge stuff uh, deals a lot with how the enemy is dehumanized in the american's eyes which makes sense for what's going on and definitely what actually happened but I, I feel like the show never quite gets critical enough of that because we do see like you know we as we said we do sort of track sledges changing attitude towards the japanese soldiers kind of very loosely but the show i think just could stand to be a little bit more not necessarily just critical of the soldiers but just a little bit more you know just a little bit more critical of the whole situation yeah i think i i think that it doesn't go deep enough really on any one beat is the problem that it's a little bit shallow, and I think that does come from the source material in that we're we are basing this very much off of like one view, one view of one person of the war. Um, I think the one thing that a lot of the battle scenes make look good is cigarettes and coffee. <laughs> man, I don't smoke cigarettes, and I rarely drink coffee. You want to? Though. But man, at the end of the Guadalcanal sequence, when they get on that boat and they get that coffee from yeah. the from the, uh, the cook, mm-hmm. man, that looks so good. Right. And the, and the cigarettes also, you're like, you're like, man, I bet a cigarette would be good right now. Not for me. For them. For them. Yeah. There's that long sequence where like the two like the two groups are passing each other, yeah. and the guys who are just going into battle are passing off cigarettes like the guys who just got out. Yeah. Like here, man, take the whole pack. Yeah. And I bet I bet they really enjoyed smoking. Yeah. And that's another thing that this this show glamorizes smoking. smoking cigarettes. Another 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 tool of the bourgeois imperialists. <laughs> um. Oh, I had another question. Oh, um, <sighs> something we didn't hit on in the previous take. Um. Uh, you said when we were watching the last episode together, which we did, um, that this show might have come off as a better show when it was airing. Yeah. Just like as a thought experiment because it wasn't peak TV then. It, I mean, it was only nine years ago. Like TV, like prestige dramas were still happening. Yeah. But as I said, like James Badge Dale's other show that year was Rubicon, which was like AMC's third ever original show. Before, you know, before Low Winter Sun came and, and swept the Emmys for many a year. <laughs> I, I just, I thought that was an interesting jumping off point for a conversation. Yeah, because back then, you know, what HBO was running on Sunday nights was basically what you had to watch. And I think that will be even more true when we watch Band of Brothers, which was from 2001. 2001. Yeah, like, we that was like, that's like, you know, The Sopranos has barely even been yeah. going then. Yeah, so like, I think that's, I think just think an interesting thing to think about the actual like television landscape versus you know like wh- how do you think this show would have been presented if it came out now yeah I, I would hope that they would i mean this is just personal preference i'd this might not actually make the show any better but i would think they might follow less a rigidly chronological point of view mm-hmm. and maybe just like layer the sequences and the scenes and the characters and storylines like a typical prestige drama because that language is so much more codified now that netflix has turned out you know one new drama series every week for the past two years. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That said, I'm, I was kind of trying to think of if there have been any, cause we talk about how there's all these 
movies about World War II. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't think of any other shows other than The Man in High Castle that have come out in recent <laughs> years about World War II, which isn't really even about World War II because it's about an alternate World War II. Yeah, I, I guess I can't either. I think part of the problem is that you need to be a big budget powerhouse like HBO and like you know have the room to do that sort of like intense violence that HBO can do mm-hmm. in order to do a war show. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, I can't actually think... For all I just said about World War II fiction, it's not as big a deal as it used to be. Right? I feel like it was very prevalent for a specific period of time that I want to say was like just before all of the World War II veterans started dying. Uh, I, I think the I think probably the peak was between World War II and Vietnam. Yeah, when, Ameri- when America was high on the whole like, yeah, man, we did it, and we're gonna tell everyone how we did it. Yeah. Over. I think it over had a, again. a resurgence, resurgence in our lifetime in the late nineties. Right. I, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, Saving Private Ryan, obviously, yeah. in, in conjunction with Band of Brothers, is, yeah. Yeah. I just think that's interesting. It is interesting. I mean, that like. Yeah. Is it played out as a genre? I mean, the, the most recent World War II thing that, like, in the popular consciousness was Dunkirk. Right. And that was, like, you know, full of typical Christopher Nolan, you know, again, that, that hey, there's a there's a World War II story that doesn't, that's not beholden to chron- chronology, but where, but where time is actually a major thing. Uh, thing. Have you seen Dunkirk? I haven't. I should. It's pretty good. Yeah. It, well, the best thing about it is it's only, like, an hour and 45 minutes long. Ooh. Which for, is, yeah, I know, right, for Christopher Nolan. For Christopher Nolan? It's great. You know, you're now you're, I want to see Dunkirk in and out in no time at all. <laughs> uh, but that, that's also that's not that's also not about a triumph. That's about they escape. Lost. It's just about surviving. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't know. That'd be interesting to. This does this does a uh, complicate my thesis about World War Two stories. I don't think it. I don't think it complicates your thesis. I think it just your thesis would be focused on a different period output. Basically, right? Because right. those like, John Ford movies are movies that people have seen. Like it's it, and they're, people are still watching. Yeah. Like it's not it's not that they're they're just not current. Yeah, I'd be curious to see to, if you can track like after Vietnam, if when America's you know feelings on war kind of soured a little bit, how many how how much it went down after that. I bet someone's written and, that. And paper. then I, and then I bet also shifted with um you know nine eleven and the war in Iraq and the, everything that's gone down with that. Well, I kind of think that that's maybe when we saw a resurgence in in World War Two content, like nine eleven times. Really? Maybe. We at least saw a resurgence in war based content. Well, I mean that's true. Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood in like two thousand six put out two movies in a row about World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. If I, I don't have the data. I'd have to double check. It's interesting to think about. Food, food for thought. Food for thought. That, and, and, Going into the next one. And that's one to grow on. That's one to grow on. Thanks for sharing this, Kelsey. I I, I didn't love it, as yeah. you might have may have noticed, but I, I think it's... Yeah, again, I, I think I may have made an error in judgment in well, the order of these, but... Well, I'm glad we had to talk about it, and I think it'll make a good foundation going forward as we discuss Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. Which I hope will improve upon this, but again, I have not watched it in a while. It could have aged very poorly. I, I'm I'm worried now that I'm going into a burden with this ideology I built for myself during this this season, or during this series. Uh, about oh, imperialism. What, what I'm worried, what I'm really worried about, aside from imperialism, which I am worried about, <laughs> what I'm worried about in the in the immediate uh, of my life is I'm going to watch Band of Brothers, be thrilled by the action sequences, and then sort and of feel ha- bad and, about and, it, and, <laughs> ha- and have to pretend I'm not being entertained. Uh, that's a, that's not a good place to be in. I will say the 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 front that they're fighting in band of brothers is very different than this like it's so it's harder for it to be chaotic because they are fighting in a very much older style and it, it's sort of not quite trench warfare style but i'm, I'm gonna reserve judgment yeah. again partially what this this the entire spiel arose from is that i was so disconnected from what was happening during yeah. the battle sequences that i had a lot of time to think about them yeah. i'm hoping you'll be more connected to the characters in this and thus, um, maybe feel a little more. Also, Band of Brothers is fun because there's just a lot of people you recognize in it. Damian Lewis, baby. You're just like, that guy and that guy and Colin, that guy. Colin Hanks, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon, briefly. Very, very briefly. <laughs> David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer. That one's even weirder than Jimmy Fallon. The David Schwimmer, this might be my favorite David Schwimmer. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to see it. But Jimmy Fallon, this is like... He's it, in it for like half a second. This is like idiot girlfriend era Jimmy Fallon, though. My favorite era of Jimmy Fallon. Anyway. When he made the song Idiot Girlfriend? I don't remember that. No. 
Special thanks to Danny About of the Weeping Willards for use of their song, Outside in the Rain. From their self-titled album, you can download it now on Bandcamp. And special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. If you like the podcast, then why wouldn't you? Like, subscribe, rate, review, review tell a friend, do all the things. This is, like, this is your call to action, folks. Please. Make like, make like the characters in the Pacific and rise to the occasion. Rise to the occasion. I don't care if you have a heart murmur. Oh. Tell your doctor dad to go shove it. <laughs> and, and, and follow and our podcast <laughs> on Facebook and Twitter. Uh. And Kelsey, as always, I want to wish you in honor of, of no. Passover? Pa- well, I was going to say VJ Day. <laughs> then it occurred to me the Passover was a better joke. And then it occurred to me neither, neither of them was actually funny. <laughs> so I'm just going to say, Kelsey, as I always say, happy, happy holidays. holidays. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me uh, oh, I don't know what I'm going to put at the end of this episode. I don't know if there's any good moments Let's get Sarah and Mike saying in salad in a minute. <laughs> you can throw that on the end there. You want to do it now? Mmm, <laughs> Salad. That's our production company. uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's what it feels like.